Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. By you being a leader in the sphere that yeah. you're in, do you are you aware by dating the guys that you've dated, you've experienced marriage, you've, you saw where you failed in mm-hmm. certain areas in marriage, um, do you see a, a way of adjusting or you have adjusted or whatever that is? Speak on how you make a place <laughs> for a man at your table for one. <laughs> you know, uh, most people don't realize I'm super girly. And so in the dating space, relationship space, I am going to be a lady and a girl. And I enjoy that part. Good. Uh, when you talk about the hierarchy in the church, there's neither male nor female. And so I can lead at church and still submit to the mission at hand in my relationships. I never imagined my public healing would inspire others to heal across the world. I thank you for using him to reach the world with the message of hope in relationships. But your life does not. God, you are my publicist. We laugh. (laughs) We share the unadulterated truth. He said, not only have I not divorced you, I ain't exposed you. We didn't marry fans, we married forever. And we wanted forever to act like a fan. Reveal her, Jesus. I will not compromise Mm -mm. on getting a woman of God. You don't have to. And Father, I declare for his future wifey, thank you for preserving her. This season, I declare miracles and manifestations. See, you're selling scripts. And you're unique. You ain't like nobody else. I I noticed that right away. You being true to who you are, you're going to attract. It's a Hebrew word, chayil, and it was translated wealth. And it means people. It means men. It means resources. And it means means. I'm Lateris R. Whitfield, and this is... Is the Dear Future Wifey Podcast. Welcome to the Dear Future Wifey Podcast. I'm your host, Lateris R. Whitfield. Listen, are you still shacking up with us? If you're still shacking up with us, come on, can we get a commitment? We're in season six. Hit that subscription button and subscribe. Make sure you turn on your notification bell so you'll be notified about upcoming episodes. And if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Spotify, Stitcher, leave a review, leave a comment. Uh, and rate it five stars if the platform allows you to. Listen, man, y'all have been tuning into this season. This season has been absolutely amazing. I've been getting so many testimonies from how this podcast has been changing your life, uh, allowing you to believe in love again. And that's so important. A couple came up to me last week in Atlanta and said, my podcast is a reason why they're still married. They were on the brink of divorce. And uh, and I'm going to bring that couple on in the next couple of weeks. So be on the lookout for that. Well, listen, y'all know that I'm very, very submitted to who I bring on the podcast. I believe that my guests not only pour into my life, but you guys are getting blessed by the overflow. And so I'm very intentional about who I have on the podcast and even more intentional based on this season. This is a season that I coined Miracles and Manifestations because I'm believing God to do great exploits this season. And he's been blowing my mind. So without further ado, 
do. Welcome to the Dear Future Wifey Podcast. My new homie, Arisha Hillier. How you doing? I am phenomenal. I'm sitting on the yellow couch. <laughs> the yellow couch. You know, I never knew that the couch would take on its own per, uh, personality. Yeah. You know, um, I just pulled this couch in during uh, season, maybe season two or something, and I said, hey, I'm going to get a blue couch because I wanted a blue couch. Yeah. And I said, until then, I'll just use a yellow couch. And then people start saying, when I'm going to get on the yellow couch. The so yellow now couch. I can't change it now. I've made it to the you yellow made couch. It to the yellow couch. <laughs> yeah, make sure your hair don't fall down because you know it's, what happens on the podcast. It's secure. It's secure. It's All right, secure. we got to make sure because you know this couch be snatching wigs. You know, I know. I don't know if you have somebody <laughs> behind me, but it's secure. They can pull it and it's going to stay in place. <laughs> so listen, man. Uh, what I love about you is you're always transparent. Uh, mm-hmm. When you walked in, you say, "Listen, ask me anything." Yeah, and that's and that's interesting because you're a pastor. That. And, and, and but as pastors, you know, a lot of times you have to be very guarded. You can't quote unquote, especially uh, back in the day, you get pastors that's more transparent now. Yeah. But um, you can't just invite people into your personal life. Yeah, but I think if we put the the scripture to action, we, it says we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. So it's my responsibility to share my story, share my scars, as well as my victories. Mm. So why is your why is sharing your scars so important? Because uh, we always hear the victories. We hear yeah. about all the great things God does, but a lot of us won't boast in our weakness. You know, I'm a pastor, so you know I got to have some scripture. Come on, no, bring uh, it all. First Corinthians ten thirteen is probably one of my favorite scriptures. There's no temptation, trial, or test taking you, but such is common to man. Which means somebody is going through what either you're going through have gone through or maybe going through in the future. And then the second part says, but God is faithful. There it is. Who will not allow you to be tempted, tried or tested above that you are able. And he will always make a way of escape. So for me, I rest in the confidence that somebody needs to hear my story. They need to know how to trust the faithfulness of God to see them through so that when everything is going crazy around them, they know just like the exit sign is over the door. He already has an exit plan and exit strategy for them to come out victorious okay you're gonna just start off preaching already I mean, huh you know you just you know it's just in you i know it. i'm missing your bloodline it's just hold on we're gonna jump in that who is your daddy my father is apostle ivy hilliard uh, my mother is pastor bridget hilliard i am the middle daughter of uh their uh, my three sisters and uh i am also what they call their successor uh they passed the baton of our church over to me so i've been senior pastor for five years now how did you qualify to be that like to walk into that mantle what 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 did they see in you early on or did you come into this or you know how, how does that happen it's been a long time, a long journey. Uh, when my father uh, saw it, I was nowhere near ready to be a senior pastor. So he told you that. He said, you're going to take over. You're going to be my successor. Well, he, he went to me at that time. and It was, you know, probably 20 years ago right now. And he said, the Lord had really told him to start praying for his successor. And he was like, wait a minute, is something happening? He yeah. was like, no, I want you to prepare. And so he came to me and he said, you know, the Lord told me that you're my successor. Go pray about it. And I prayed about it and I didn't have a no, but I didn't have a yes, but I also knew I wasn't ready, but I've always been the type of person to submit to God's will that I'm going to always give him a yes. Even if I don't understand it, I'm going to give him a yes. And so I, I said, yes. And we went through 12, 15 years of training, tears, triumphs, get yourself together, get your life together, uh, growth 
because I had to grow up. I had to really learn how to love God's people. And when he first told me about it, I was working in church, but I didn't know how to love God's people. And uh, I'm glad that he was patient with me. I'm glad that God was patient with me. But I'm glad that the people of the light were patient with me. You know, that's good. A lot of times we think that um, the kids get the church just by, hey, it's just what you get. Uh, but I love the fact that you said the process before the promise started yeah. 20 years ago. Oh, yeah. It, I've, I've held several positions at the church. I've been working at the church for 25 years. I've been a um, human resource director. Uh, I did. I was a pastor of youth ministry. I was an on-site pastor for one of our locations. I started a youth conference called Spiritual Encounter in 2000, and thousands of teenagers would come from across the country to be a part of that. Uh, probably one it. of the largest urban African-American youth conferences uh, that has taken place. Um, but I, I cut my teeth in youth ministry. Yes. Um, and so I've, I had to learn. I had to grow. I've, you know, a lot of people say, well, what seminary did you go to? I I said it as a student, and I was mentored by my father. You can't and, be no um, better professor than that. Listen, <laughs> <laughs> listen, and so it, it's been it's been a great journey. You know, when I pastored the West location, he was like, "I'm putting you over there because if you can't handle one location, I can't give it all to you." That's good. And so um, it's it was a great journey. It was I learned a lot about myself. Um, I learned a lot more about church not just as a Sunday morning thing yeah. uh, but most importantly I really can walk away and say I'm grateful for the growth you said something early where you said that you were involved in church but you didn't what you, you said what'd you say about loving his people or how'd you word that yeah I didn't really like people <laughs> like I, you, can I be really yeah, honest always. like I was the PK like hey I see you nice to meet you um, but don't hug me don't touch me like it's okay. like everybody has yeah. a personal box. Yeah. And so everybody knew that. So how are you going to pastor and shepherd people and you don't want people to touch you? And so that was one of the biggest things I had to grow in. Um, I had seen a lot growing up. My um, father and mother got married the next day they became pastors. So, really? Yeah. So I've been a PK all my life. Um I, I've seen a lot of stuff. I've seen people say, you know, I love your father, love your family, and then they talk about you in the streets. Yeah, of course. I've seen my parents pay people's light bills and save them out of situations, and that would be the very person that kind of turned their back. And a lot of times when you're trying to protect yourself, mm -hmm. you put up this wall, but it really not only does it stop people from coming in, it stops you from giving out. Yeah. And so I had to learn how to really, like, love people and not just – Ministry is not just a job. It's a calling, but it requires compassion. Yes. And so that was one of the lessons that I had to learn is, is how to genuinely love people. And I have to be honest, my divorce really gave me a level of compassion for people going through that I didn't have before. I was going to ask you what moment made that click happen. So you said your divorce. How old were you when you got married? I was 21 when I got married. I was 19 when I had my first child. I was in college and I got pregnant. And so Oh, you had a baby out of wedlock, huh? Yeah, I'm oh, telling you. Okay. <laughs> PK over here, over here goosing and over here had a whole kid. Okay. Yeah. All right. So I, I had my first kid at 19. Um, I had And I want to hear what that came because what happens is you hear a lot of pastors and their kids end up having a child out of wedlock. What kind of shame did you feel or not being uh raised in a church like that? 
I can tell you this, that my father was, my parents were my protection. Really? My my father never made me stand up in front of the church. Good. I didn't owe the church an apology. At all. Um, and my father gave me a statement that I live by to this day. I got to hear is it. Is that when you hold a righteous course long term, that God will erase the memory of your bad choices and your misbehaviors from the minds of those you've offended, and he will rewrite your resume. And I held on to that. Hold that on, is- hold on, hold on. You can't, <laughs> you can't just drop a gem like that and just skate on through. That's going to bless somebody. I, I would love for you to repeat that, please, for the people in the back. When you hold a righteous course long term, God will erase the memory of your bad choices and your misbehavior from the minds of those you've offended, and he will rewrite your resume. You didn't even know I had a kid out of wedlock. At all. Because that's the power of God. And he told me that in that state. I was broken. I felt like I disappointed everybody. I still had to come to church and sit on the second row, big and pregnant. And he would just keep telling me that, Reese, if you hold your course long term, he said, God will erase the memory of your bad choices and your misbehavior from the minds of people you've offended, and he will rewrite your resume. And I can truly say that God has rewrote my resume. Let me tell you something, Arisha. This is it's, it's some, it's a, that, that right, I'm feeling, I'm, <laughs> man, my hair standing yeah. up on my arm, it's, it's, it's something on that. It is. Because when I think about what God has brought me through, and I and I think about it all the time when I look and I look on this Instagram. Uh, I, when I look at my YouTube following and subscribers, mm-hmm. and it's three hundred thousand uh, subscribers, <laughs> it blows my mind. But I go back all the way, and we're about to celebrate three years of doing this podcast on April the fifteenth. Mm-hmm. But I go back to April. When well about May when I when God told me to do an episode where I talk about my infidelity in my past marriage, right, yeah. I had 500 subscribers at the time. I said, God, this is career suicide. I'm not. <laughs> most of these people follow me are women. Why would I bring up the past? Right. That's, that's in the past. God said, I need you to be transparent. Mm-hmm. I, I need you to boast in your weakness. I want you to be able to share what I am delivering you, not delivered me from, delivering yeah. me uh, from. And I was like, okay. And I say delivering because the the true essence comes once I get married again. Absolutely. And so God is setting systems in place of discipline in my mm-hmm. life so that I can hold true to that when I get married. But I said, God, I don't, don't want to do that. These people going, they going to be like, I ain't going to follow him. Be a cheater. And God said, let me do what I do. Yeah. And then I did that, and it's like that's the very thing that makes men DM me, and they or even women that say, "Hey, I'm letting you know I've been cheating on my husband," and I wow. and I hear how honest and transparent you are about that. What can I do to save my marriage? What can Amazing. I do to be transparent about this? And so, what your father said, man, let me tell you something. I need people to receive that. I'm a I'm a I'm gonna write that down and put that in the description because yes. that is so powerful. When did you find that? shift? When did you find what your father spoke to you at that age and you started realizing that people not bringing up your past no more? I think I've seen it along my journey. Like, you know, of course I got married and of course I married, you know, we were both church kids. We both grew up in the church. So it was the, it was your church. church. Okay. So it was a story. It was, it was a story. So I felt like, Oh, this is the, this is the rewriting of my resume. And then, you know, years later, now we're going through a divorce. And I think it's at every turn that a trial, a situation shows up that I lean into that 
that God, you're faithful, that even if it's not something that I've caused, mm. even if it's somebody talking bad about me and they don't know me, yes. I have to lean into that and just watch him rewrite my yes. resume. You know, I'm a senior pastor, a female of the fourth largest church in, in Houston and, you know, this mega church and everybody's like, how is she going to do it? Is she going <laughs> to fall? Is she going to fail? And I just lean into God. I got to trust you. I have to trust that you will do exactly what your word says if I hold my course. And that's the key. You got to hold your course. You got to stay the course no matter what it looks like, no matter who's talking about you, no matter who thinks that you're wrong, no matter even if you're wrong, you get back on course and you hold your course and watch the hand of God rewrite your resume. How long were you married when you were married? I was married 12 years. 12 years. Um, what made you decide to marry said gentleman? It's, it's transparent, huh? Oh, yeah, we're going to keep it transparent. I think if I'm honest with myself, I was uh, doing something uh, a couple weeks ago with my sorority. And, um, what they, sorority are you a part of? Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. <laughs> Come on. Um, and uh, I was talking to some girls in college, and they said, what would you say to your 21-year-old self? And I talked about that. I would probably say to myself, don't get married. Because I know I really believe now hindsight mm -hmm. Looking back is that I got married because it looked good to everybody else. Mm. Nice guy. Grateful for my son. Grateful for, uh, you know, just, you know, I'm grateful for that period of my life. Yeah. But it wasn't really for me. It wasn't, I didn't really take it in like, okay, is this the best decision for me? Yeah. It looked good on paper. It looked good to the church community. Yeah. But I can't say that it was the best decision for me. That's good. Um, what made you decide to walk away from your marriage? I don't know who filed, you filed, he filed. But what made you say, you know, this it's time. It. Yeah, that's it. I filed for divorce. Okay. But I will say this. We had... Um, we were having trouble from the beginning. And you know how in church you cover it up. Yeah. Nobody knows. Yeah. You show up at church and you put on this smiley face yep. and it's all good. And we had went through years of that. We had had little challenges going uh, throughout our years that nobody really knew about. So it was kind of a surprise to everybody. Yep, same with me. And then, you know, we were really having challenges. Like it, it was getting bad. Like I told my dad, like, Hey, this is bad. He's like, use your faith. And I'm like, I'm using my faith. I'm using my faith. And this is not working. And oh, I reached God. a place in it. And I really believe this was a pivotal moment for me because so many times in marriage, we're, we're saying, God, fix them. God, fix them. God, yeah. fix them. And I settled in myself and I said, God, if this is what you have for me, I'm going to work on me. I'm going to be content in me. And if it's not for me, you will reveal it to me. And he had made a statement to me and, and kind of fast forward, you know, he left. And I was like, mm, I don't really do revolving doors, mm -hmm. but I was submitted to leadership. So, of course, I went to my parents. Then I had to go to the advisory board because I'm now in position to be senior pastor. So this decision doesn't just affect me. I'm pastoring one of our locations. Oh. This decision doesn't just affect you know, behind the scenes, the church is going to see it. He was working on staff. So I had to tell the staff what was happening. And so my advisory board asked me to wait 90 days. 
and I honored their commitment. I waited 90 days. And when I didn't see an improvement yeah. or the the fight may not be the right word, but I want it. There's yeah. a part of a woman where you want a man to fight for you. Like you, you, you want that. And I didn't see that. Then I made the decision to file. And, um, you know, we went through that process, learned a lot, learned how to trust God through that process. Um, but one of the biggest things for me through that was, is not pointing the finger about who was at fault. Yes. We were both at fault. Yeah. It takes two people for a relationship to fail. And the only people that really know the truth about our relationship is me and, him and, him and, and God. God. There it is. See, I've never ever shared on my podcast what really led to my divorce. I just shared the fact that, you know, I was unfaithful during a period of my marriage, but I just let that be out there, but I never shared what actually led because yeah. I was the one that filed for divorce. Yeah. Um, and um, and that's just one of the things she never asked to be on my podcast. So mm -hmm. it's it's the fact of just protecting her and continue to cover her. That's what was, it right there. What was the thing that you learned most about God going through that? Ooh. Um. I was prepped a little bit and I didn't really believe it. My brother-in-law um, had told me he had been divorced. My sister had been divorced and they had met and remarried. And uh, he said, Arisha, divorce is one of the hardest things you'll go through. He said, I wouldn't wish it on my enemy. Yeah. And so you hear that, but you like, I just want to be yeah. happy. Yeah. I just want peace. I just, so you, you know, you're, you're in that position. But what I learned is the faithfulness of God. You know, I call myself going to like a divorce recovery class, yeah. like out in an area where they didn't look like me and I'm going to go sit in the class. And so, you know, I'm in the class and everybody is like, you know, really like lamenting and going through. And they looked at me and they said, because I'm like, I don't want anybody to know I'm a pastor. I just want to be in the recovery class. And so they looked at me and they were like, it's something different about you. Why are you just, you know, we're all crying. And you, I said, because he made a promise to never leave me. I said, he may have walked off. He may have left. That may have changed. But he made, God made a promise he would never leave me. So my second scripture that I hold on to is that that scripture, one translation says, I will not, I will not, I will not. He said, I will not relax my hold or my grip on you. He will never leave me nor forsake me. So even when I felt alone, I had this trust that God was still with me. Hmm. Did they ever? Uh, did you ever tell them you was a pastor when they kept saying that something different about you? No, I gave them that scripture and then I stopped going to the class. <laughs> <laughs> you done ran off. You done ran off. Why you run off, Arisha? Well, I realized I wasn't. I wasn't gonna get the real help that I needed there. Why? Because for me, it was deeper than that. I needed some soul healing. Mm. I needed to really evaluate myself, take the blame off of him and really do some work on Irisha. And I think sometimes we miss that going through a divorce because we want them to work on themselves. Mm -hmm. But I had to really go through some working on myself. And, you know, and that was a process along the journey, child support, court situations. I had to go through learning some things about myself and learning some things about God and getting my temper under control and where do I channel the emotions that I feel and how do I protect the kids in the process. But it was more than just me sitting a class. I had to make a decision that I was going to do the work. I had to make a decision that I was going to do the work. What did doing the work look like? Woo. 
doing the work looked like owning my responsibility, number one. What part did I play? I wasn't the best wife. Good. I was I was a I was into my work because a lot of times when we're driven and we're focused, you can get married to the work. Yes. And so, you know, I'm I'm working up the ladder of church and, you know, I'm working in ministry. I'll stay up half the night to get the job done and, you know, and so I was working. I was that was that's what I did. I, that was that was priority. What do you what do you complain or what do you say? Hey, babe, can you come to bed? Can you put no, the? He was easy going. Okay, he so was you so super you chill. So, so you even think it was a problem then? No, because he was super chill. You know, I was I was in that period of like I'm not fixing your plate. You got it. Uh, like ooh, you know, yeah. Because I didn't understand what submission really looked like, so I had to number one accept my role. Then number two, I had to I had to really grow up. Every year, a part of my journey is I really take time and ask God, like, what's my word for the year? What's my word for the year? And so there's a word that I kind of live by. And so one year I said, God, grow me up. It was a hard year, but it was a pivotal year. Um, I remember when we had our, we had a, you know, he wanted to redo his child support. And. That's it's a whole story in that. <laughs> so I get the court papers, and he's just let the lawyers kind of put. I don't Whatever. think he read them. He read them, and so it's just all kind of stuff. And I am having a full <laughs> meltdown. Like you're trying to take my child away from me. Like <laughs> I am going through. Yeah. And my dad called me, and he had preached that Sunday, and the message was on Psalms 23, hmm. and he said, "Yea, though I walk through the shadow of death." I will fear no evil. He said, Reed, it's just a shadow. It's just a shadow, boy. It's just a shadow. It looks like it's going to take you out, but it's just Just a a shadow. shadow, And so it was in that that I learned that what looks like it's going to kill me, it doesn't have the power to take me out. What looks like, you know, because I was like, oh, my name. And, you know, I I, I mean, I was thinking of all the worst possibilities. And I was like, I learned in that moment, it's just a shadow. And then I learned to trust God as my source because, you know, as single moms, if I can be transparent, you kind of lean on the child support. Yeah. And so I didn't have that for some period. And then it got cut. And so, you know, I'm calling, chasing money and, you know, but I got my own money, but I'm still chasing money because I feel like, you know. You need that little cushion. You need something. Or just you supposed to do what you're supposed to do, (laughs) you know. And God said, wait a minute. Have I not? I was sitting in my office angry, you know, sending text messages, being I reach. Now, I'm not saying I, I was being Riri, because see, Riri has a whole nother personality. I know. I know Riri, this is not Riri, common Riri, pastor talk. Tell me, Riri, uh, she she hood. She she she's never lived in the hood, but she got a little hood in. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm pulling to that fifth ward in Cashmere Gardens <laughs> from up here, um, and so I'm doing all that, and God checked me so strong. He says, "What have you missed out? Have I not provided for you and your children?" He says, you're still in the same home. You're still living good. Your children have not missed a meal. You have not missed a meal. Your family is clothed. He said, I am your source. And if I'm your source, you don't chase him down. He's just one of the resources. And if that resource stops up, I can open up another resource. Because in all of this, you have not missed and come up short. And I was like, okay, God. And from that day forward, I stopped having the argument and being that about money. And I was like, God, you are my source. So I've learned so much 
just through the journey and I took the power of what that divorce and season yeah. was going to be like and I put it back in my hands instead of giving it to everybody around me and giving it to the circumstances. Oh, that's good. Lord Jesus, that's good. <laughs> because it's in those experiences that qualify you to pastor. Like, it's yeah. all those little intricate things. You know, we look at shepherd boy David, you know, mm-hmm. before he became king, he was a shepherd boy, but it was in that tutelage yeah. that he was going through that qualified him to reign as king one day. And so when you look at that and you think of yourself, um, when you're now you got this hindsight is 2020 yeah. perspective, um, no one will really know what you go through as a pastor. They just will not know <laughs> what you go through on a daily basis as a pastor. Yeah. If people could get a little snapshot into your world as a pastor, what would you say to help people understand the gravity of pastoralship? Um, there is the preaching assignment. There is the shepherding assignment. There's the business assignment. Um, our church is in the mega church category. We have over like 75 employees that, you know, like during the pandemic, I felt such a weight and responsibility, uh, to make sure that their families and they could continue to get paid even during that season. So, you know, and then I'm still a very active mother, like being a mom to my two boys is high priority. So just as much as you see me in the pulpit, you'd see me on the sidelines at the football game. Good. Um, and then it's your own personal time of study and devotion and growth with God and your relationship with God. And then it's the challenges of the business side. It's the, you know, I have some, our church is a multi-generational church. We have about four or five generations represented really? in our church and on our staff. Wow. And so like the other day, one of my uh, older members called and she was like, they keep giving me trouble over my seat. And she kept (laughs) calling me until I picked up the phone. And of course, some of my older members have my phone number. She was like, I'm too old to be coming to church and having somebody mess with me about my seat. And I was like, yes, ma'am. I said, I said, I'm going to get them straight. What are they doing? Why why, why are they trying to take a seat? I've been sitting there for 20 some years and they trying to tell me I can't, I have two seats. I've had two seats for 20, 22 years, 20 some years. I was like, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. And that she did not want to talk to anybody but you, but me. She was calling to talk to me. And, uh, you know, I, I love Donna and I told her, I said, I'm gonna get them together. But then it's the touch. It's the touch that people want to feel yeah it's the touch it's being present in the community it's so it has so many dynamics that you're balancing in life and no I can't get to it all every day but I do have to prioritize and so and then you got to think I was my father's church administrator or COO for years and so there are still some things he calls me to do because he didn't retire he just restructured (laughs) which means he doesn't preach on Sundays unless I ask him. But that means he, when he dreams of ideas, he calls his daughter. And I don't mind helping him. Wow. So going through that, do you believe, uh, did you ever get any pushback being a woman pastor? Yes. I, I've gotten pushback from probably mostly outsiders. There's a small percentage of people that were a part of our church that said they didn't want to be led by a woman, and I'm I'm okay with that. 
those who are with us and those who are for me cannot leave and those who are not cannot stay. And my prayer to God is when that person leaves, God, you got to send faithful people that will undergird the vision. The Bible says he gives people for the vision and men for our lives. And so I have to stay in an environment of faith. I cannot let the naysayers and I cannot let the distractions and what's going on around me make me forget that it is my faith that sees me through that believing that if God called me to it, he would give me the grace for it. That when God called me to it, he knew the journey of my life. He knew that in this season I would be single. He knew all of that. And he's given me the grace for my assignment. When did you, you spoke about how your father spoke about you taking over the church. When did you feel that God called you to ministry? I got called to ministry in 1999. I preached my first sermon in September of 1999. Um, and then my parents started getting me like to do the announcements. <laughs> and then in 2000 was really when I got passionate about youth ministry. And uh, that's why I really, I really spent a lot of time in youth ministry. But Do you remember your first sermon? Do you remember what it was about? I remember my first sermon. It was about um, how to overcome life's disappointments, I think. What brought that out? What were you going through back in 99? Uh, I had just, I had my son in 96 and uh, I got married. I had my daughter in 96. Yep. I got married in 99 and 98. And so I had overcome some, some trials and difficulties and setbacks. So you were speaking from experience. I got a little experience. (laughs) Got a little experience. I always love uh, to know what somebody's first sermon was because those first sermons is coming from straight experience or unless you try to duplicate somebody else's sermon, somebody's something that you didn't heard somebody say. Uh, And I've done that because I thank God for the the wealth of wisdom of my father. And then now that I think about it too, I had just come out of a major car accident at the top of that year. What happened? uh, we were leaving church. Uh, we have we have multiple locations. We were leaving our south how many, location. How many, loca- how many locations y'all have? We have three now. We have a north location, a Houston south location, and then we bought the old Lakewood facility, and my father turned it into a campground for teenagers. Um, and so it, we can house 500 kids. We have a boys' dormitory for 250, a girls' dormitory for 250. And uh, during the summer, uh, we host camps for teenagers. Uh, oh, my church is going to a camp. Yeah. Yeah. I said, I was talking to my uh, nephew, and I was like, hey, I want you to go to this camp this this, this summer. Uh, it's in June. It's in June. Uh, He's yeah. got to come. Yeah, like, I said, you got to go. It's really like my father built a lake in the middle of the ghetto. Like it has, a its, lake. Own, it has its own beachfront lake. We have go-karts. <laughs> we have... Um, a, a skating ring, we picked up the chairs and put a full skating ring inside an arcade oh, room. Oh, no, he got to go there. It's a whole experience. Oh, he got to go. It's the word and it's fun. And um, it's amazing. So now, we were- well, I'm going to tell you something. <laughs> I got to say this. See, I grew up in the white church. I grew mm-hmm. up Pentecostal. So I would see the white people, we would go do that all the time. I ain't never seen no black people do no stuff like that. Like, where, where, where your daddy come from to be thinking of stuff like that? <laughs> you know, our kids went to a camp years ago when he was senior pastor, and they were blaming our kids for, <laughs> like, stealing. And then the kids would be in competition, and they would win, and they didn't want to give the kids the prizes. And he was like, 
this is not right. So, it, you know, a lot of times what happens is you say somebody has to do something about this. And God is like, you. you. <laughs> and that's what happened. And Built it, was a, it was a vision on his heart for 20 years. And in 2017, we did a soft launch. And then last year we did a full launch. And it really is an amazing thing. Yeah. So it's a, so you got the old Lakewood facility. So all oh, they stay at the camp. It's a they they yeah, they, for, they check in on Monday and they check out on Thursday. And they're at, on the camp. We feed them breakfast, lunch, oh, and I guess dinner. A free time. Okay, I'm like, this is you come on, keep selling to. <laughs> I'm going to send Ladarren on down to the old camp. That's what's yeah. gonna happen. What's the name of this camp? Love City USA. How they how they how do people? We're gonna just drop that now. What how they get connected to this camp? LoveCityUSA.com. See, Dad, I'm always hooking you up. There it is. There it is. <laughs> Love City USA. Yeah. Yes, they have made an announcement about it at, at my church, Word of Truth, and I talked to my nephew, and I was like, hey. You want to go to this? Like, what's it going to be? But it's going to be fun. I said, yeah, it's going to be fun. I don't know nothing. It's going to be fun. It's going to be great. You need to go. Uh, he was like, all right, well, I'm going to look at it. I'm going to look at it. But every it's, time he goes to something like they love it. It's life-changing. See, I used to go to a lot of camps. I remember the first time I uh, was filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues was at kids' camp when yeah. I was like 11 or something. It happens. Yeah, it and happens. so that's, that's, that, that's powerful. I love it. I yeah. love that you come from a family of visionaries. Um, and so now here you are pastoring, mm -hmm. you're carrying the weight, you're carrying the mantle, you're carrying, uh, what can oftentimes be the burden of ministry. Mm -hmm. Um, how do you balance that? How do you get that work life balance? Because that's, a, that's a lot. You just named a whole lot of jobs. <laughs> you know, it, it, it requires intentionality and I haven't always got it right, but I'm very intentional about being, I'm 45 and I'm going to enjoy my life. Yeah. Um, my father used to make this statement. He has all these great statements, but I give him credit the first time and then I act like it's just mine. Yeah, yeah. And so he makes this statement like, I'm not going to miss abundant life trying to help everybody else find it. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, what would you do if you had an extra hour in your day? Would you take up a new hobby, catch up on some sleep, complete reading the book you've never had time to finish but always promised that you would? Did you know the best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is by knowing what's important to you and making it a priority? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. I couldn't have become the person I am today without therapy, to be honest with you. My vulnerability and transparency were cultivated in therapy, and it served as a foundation in which the beloved Dear Future Wifey podcast was built. Now, as you know, relationships of all kinds are important to me. Therapy helps with learning positive coping skills, managing expectations of myself and others, and most importantly, establishing healthy boundaries. Ooh, boy, life is stressful, ain't it? Now, therapy is a safe space to recalibrate and recenter. Now, can I be transparent with you? Since the inception of this podcast, I've always wanted to do this right here for better help. Why? Because so many of you reach out to me seeking referrals for therapy services after each episode. My heart has been overwhelmed by the outpouring of you desiring help to show up better in life. And guess what? I believe the world is a better place with better help. 
It's entirely online, too. Designed to fit your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Wifey today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Wifey. Doggone Ivy Hiller. He's amazing. And so <laughs> when you read John 10 and 10, it says, you know, the thief coming to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have a life. And more abundantly. And have it more abundantly. And we stop at the life and just abundant. But I want the more abundant life. Teach. And so I have, I enjoy my life. And, you know, being a mom, if it means, you know, my son was away in college. And and it does require sacrifice. Yeah. And I think we have to get out of the fact that sacrifice is a bad word. Yes. Anytime you sacrifice, it gets God's attention and heaven backs you up. And so, yeah, I it have to It gets God's attention and heaven backs you up. Yeah. You don't just keep dropping these gems like that. <laughs> Man, yeah. all right. And so have I had to sacrifice and drive to Arkansas, have somebody take me to Arkansas and be in the pulpit on Sunday morning? Yes. But being there in the stand to see that one play, that one touchdown, I'm going to be there, you know, hanging out with my girlfriends, my inner circle of girlfriends. That's important to yeah. me. You know, I enjoy sports. I enjoy good food, you know, going to restaurants and I'm single. So, yeah, I'm a date a little bit, but I'm going to be mindful that, yeah, I know when I walk out my house, eyes are on me. I yeah. know that I am holding, I'm held accountable for my yeah. actions. So I try to keep that in mind. Am I perfect? Absolutely not. But I do I do try to balance it. Like, you know, um, Mondays are my normally it's my day to just just do me. But I'm going to enjoy life. I'm going to travel. I'm going to enjoy life because at the end of the day, if I let everything else get the best of me and I don't give the best to myself, there it is. I've done a disservice to me. I don't give the best to myself. I've done a disservice to me. Yeah. When I tell you that right there, it, it's a game changer. Um, I remember when I started this podcast, I said that I'm uh, always do. I was doing 21 episodes and mm -hmm. then I'll rest. Yeah. And I said, I'll never become a slave to my own success. Yeah. And what happens is you get in this rat race, you keep performing and performing and performing, and then you get caught up in, well, if I take a break, if I take three weeks, if I take a month, then yeah. what is everybody going to do? You know, they're going to, their whole lives going to fall apart. Like, y'all, y'all be all right. I'll be back in a month. They'll I need to go right. get restored. Because um, God is still God. Yeah. And that, that responsibility is not on me. There it is. And when I'm rested... I can I'm, perform better. I can perform better. There it is. And I had to learn that the hard way. But when I'm rested, I'm better at what I do. I have such a, a strong supporter, uh, supportive uh, following that they'll say, Terrace, you look tired. You need to get yeah. some rest. <laughs> you need to get some rest. The, like, Thank the members so of the light are the same way. <laughs> and they look forward to me saying, all right, I'm going out on sabbatical. And I shared that with them because I had reached a point one time that I was just hitting a wall. And I, I knew my body was tired and yeah. my body was saying, you need to rest. And that's when I am every quarter I take some time off, whether it's a week of me just being at home with a staycation or I go away by myself or I go away with some friends. Every quarter I have a whole week at least that I take to myself. Man, that's amazing. So you you said you'd be out here dating, Arisha. I do. You'd be out here dating. <laughs> Are you on are you on dating sites? How you meet these gentlemen? Oh no, 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 how, no. How, how no. you meet them? They be sliding I, your, your DMs on IG? 
They be sliding in on Facebook. No, my what? They be hitting you up on LinkedIn. Do you have friends that be connecting you to people? Like I got this, my coworker. I think y'all be great together. How do how these connections happen? It's happened a multiple ways. Let's just say it like that. It's happened a multiple ways. How do they how do they take you being a pastor? Do they automatically know that, or is this something that you kind of hold back from telling? And then, you know, and then later on you end up saying, you know, I'm pastor of the fourth largest church in Houston. You know, it's you go to my Instagram and you see it right away. So um, and, you know, I'm not saying this in a braggadocious way, but you Google me, it's going to pop up. Um, And the name Hilliard speaks for itself. So most of the time they know who I am. I am very selective about who I date. Um, I don't believe for me that just dating to get a meal is the best for me. <laughs> um, I can take myself to dinner. There it is. I've learned how to enjoy my table for one. Um, you wrote a book called that, didn't I you? I did. A table for one. Yeah. yeah. Because a lot of times, you you know, I remember when I was going through my divorce, it's about really managing the isolating seasons of your life. When Jesus went to meet the woman at the well, it was she was at a table for one. He waited till she was there by herself to have a one-on-one encounter with her. Most of the time in the Bible, when God is shifting somebody's destiny, he meets them at a table for one. Mm. So how do I maximize the very thing that everybody tells me I'm looked at as an obstacle or an odd person? You walk in a restaurant and they say, Can, you know, you want a table for one? Would you like to sit at the bar? No, I want to sit at a table. I want yesterday. a full dining <laughs> experience. But God meets us in that at that table for one. And it's at that table for one in the moments that we feel isolated that he shifts our destiny and takes us into new levels. And so um, I enjoy me, but I do enjoy company. But if I know off the bat that it's not right for me, I'm not going to entertain. And I know some people may think that that's, you know, being mean, but I know I, I, I know I've learned how to follow that inner witness, yeah. that intuition, or yeah. I can say that's not something that I prefer for my life. Like I think sometimes when you're talking about singles and dating, when you talk about your standards or, and I'm not talking about, you know, looks or physical yeah. things, but there are certain things that you say, no, this doesn't really fit with where I'm going. Yes. If I know that you don't have that, I'm old enough to say, <laughs> nah, you're cool. We good. Thank you, but no thank you. Thank you, but no thank yeah. you. Yeah. How have people received that in the past? Are they, you know, how does, because a lot of women say that men can't deal with rejection well. Have you experienced that? I think it's different for a female pastor than it is for men in the spotlight. Um, you know, y'all get ladies that just come out the woodwork. Guys are a little bit more selective. And then a lot of times, I just certain things I just don't entertain because I can't allow it into my my mm-hmm. spirit, my eye gate, my my heart. I am I'm a lover. I enjoy like once you get to me, like if you my friends, they know I go hard for them. My family, I go hard for them. So I'm selective about yeah. the people that I let into the inner parts of my life because most of the time, if I've let you in, you're in. And so I'm not just going to hang out just to hang out. My time is too valuable because I could be doing something else with that time. So 
Um, yeah, I've learned to just kind of follow that inner witness. And I really don't get a lot of people approaching me. Like people think, oh, you must have a lot of people approaching you. <laughs> I don't get that. Well, I think that they'll be more intimidated than anything else. Because at the end of the day, yeah. it's like... And this is big thing too that's going on in these social media streets about you know um, alpha females, yeah. you know, and so you already exude that just by position, and so they automatically assume that you, how you gonna place them in your life, you know, what place would they have in your life? Speak yeah. on that by you being a leader in the sphere that yeah. you're in. Do you are you aware? By dating the guys that you've dated, you've experienced marriage, you've you saw where you failed in mm -hmm. certain areas in marriage. Um, do you see a, a way of adjusting or you have adjusted or whatever that is? Speak on how you make a place <laughs> for a man at your table for one. <laughs> you know, uh, most people don't realize I'm super girly. And so in the dating space, relationship space, I am going to be a lady and a girl. And I enjoy that part. Good. Uh, when you talk about the hierarchy in the church, there's neither male nor female. And so I can lead at church and still submit to the mission at hand in my relationships. And so um, if a guy is intimidated by my strength, he then he's, the al he's not the one because yeah. he's already misjudged me because I know how to come under the mission at hand and I still understand there's a hierarchy and an order at church there's an order at home and we both have to yield one to another for the blessing of the Lord to rest on that relationship so uh, if the guy is intimidated right off the bat he's not the one so you're telling me that you feel that you're balanced enough to allow him to lead in the home Absolutely. I want him to leave. I think that's what people forget or miss. I should say they miss is that alpha women, we really don't want to lead. I heard it all the time. Yep. We do it enough at, everywhere, uh, yes. but you have to learn how to, how to be soft. Like I remember um, my good friend, Pastor YPJ, we actually met on Instagram. We were both kind of going through our divorce yep. and we realized we would, we could just be friends. We're very good friends. And he would call to check on me like in the middle of the day. And I'd be like, what's up? And he was like, hold on, let me help you. He was like, when I call you, I, I just want to make sure you're good. Like bring it in. He was like, tone it down. Like I'm not an employee. I don't want. I don't. I don't need an assignment. I don't need an instruction. So there's. He said it all from the, the from the what's up. Yeah, because I was like, you know, in the course of my day, and I'm like, come on, I got what we doing. What's up? What you need? Because now that's the course. People are coming in telling me what they need. He was like, hold on, hold on. That's just, good. And so, so you need a good male friend to teach you those oh, things. Yeah. Listen, my yeah. male friends, and I have some amazing platonic that's male good. friends that have helped me soften up as a woman, help me understand some things about men, help me raise my boys. I can remember times in my life that my boys, because I grew up with all girls, my boys would ask me for stuff and I'd be like, okay, what do you, what do you need that for? And I'd call one of them and I'd be like, so what does that mean? They were like, read, just, just do it. Just like leave them alone. And so I, I'm grateful for them. <laughs> but most of the time, an alpha woman wants to be in a place in a relationship where she feels safe 
to take off the hat of masculinity and leadership and allow her femininity and her grace to shine through. And when a man understands that that's her heart's desire and when she feels safe and secure, he will get another version of her because the nurturer in her, the, the tenderness in her will feel safe enough to be vulnerable enough in that space to shine through. Teach. And he will get the best version of her. Teach, 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 teach. Teach <laughs> Jesus. <sighs> I'm gonna let that simmer because when I tell you they believe the opposite, it's yeah. this red pill community, this manosphere that will attack you, yeah. destroy any woman that's out here getting it, you know, and then it's crazy because they'll attack y'all for, for being quote unquote boss women, being successful, but then they're not gonna do nothing to provide for you anyway. They, you know, they, it's it's just crazy. I don't it's it's crazy. It's a and whole nother spirit operating world. Why would you want somebody? And I, I mean to each his own, but I feel like if I have high standards yes. and I desire the best of you, then it's only right that I bring the best of me. It's two holes becoming one. There it is. So I, I want to bring something to the table. I, if I want you to have good credit, my credit needs to be straight. If I if I want you to have some assets, yeah. then I need to have some assets. I need to show that I have, I've demonstrated a level of responsibility in my life in this state that we can join together to to be in an even greater state. Well, what's happening a lot, and I'm seeing it, is that a lot of there's a, there's a lot of African American women are out earning African American yeah. men. So while we've been so brainwashed that our value is attached to our bank accounts, yeah. now it's hard for us to to feel valued in a relationship or even thinking about getting a relationship with a woman and you just naming assets and all this other stuff, this dude still got an apartment. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And you like, I got this, I got that. And I'm and he like, see, I can never talk to her. Because yeah. automatically, even what you said, your level of expectation is that you have this, so you're expecting him to have that as well. Would yeah. you ever date, well, forget it, would you ever marry a guy that was, Mm-hmm. I already know. This. Would you ever date a guy <laughs> that wasn't? I didn't want to say as well off as you are, but I'll just say was a third of what you are financially. Whatever that is, whatever that number is, would you? Could you submit to that? At this place in my life, unless he has a level of faith and he's working towards the next level and I can see fruit in manifestation, it would be a no. In my twenties, it didn't matter. Right. In my thirties, it was like, Oh, it's okay. At 45 and leading people, my faith goals are at an all time high. So I need somebody that can match my faith energy or understand my faith energy. So when I say I'm believing God, like, you know, we just had a giving Sunday at our church and, you know, we have we have seven hundred and fifty thousand square feet of property. Seven hundred and fifty thousand square feet. Right. So we have buildings like in North Houston. There's three buildings on that campus. South Houston. There's two buildings on that campus. We, so my faith, the light bill, and the and the <laughs> gas bill. And then if you talk about my personal assets. Yeah. You know, we built a home. It was, you know, my father helped us build a home. And then, you know, we took over the mortgage and all of that. I live in a house that's not, it's not a hole in the wall. I'm, yeah. I'm grateful for God's grace that helped me. But but my light bill is probably, it's high. Your, your, your light bill is somebody's mortgage. Right. 
so, we, <laughs> so I need you to understand faith. Yeah. So to me, it's not the dollar amount. Is this your ability to believe? But can you see that? Can and you I have see, to see that? But but can you see that in a guy that's age for age, but he's trying to get there? His faith is saying, "I see this." He sees vision and all that, but his bank account is not reflective of his faith right now. It's gonna be manifested in his conversation, and it's gonna be shown in his fruit. Now y'all know I gotta go Bible. Come on, let's Bible hear it. says I want to see this fruit. That you should know the tree by the by fruit, the fruit it bears. it bears. So even if you're going from faith to faith, and right now you're just at the blade and you haven't reached the ear, I still ought to see some fruit that tells me, oh, he's going to the next level. Because see, I don't need you to make me feel bad for the things that I desire yes. and the things that I like. And yeah. I've been in places like that. Like I gave my last to buy you a pair of shoes, and I'm like. Hey, I didn't ask you for that because certain things I'm I'm real simple. And if I wanted the shoes, and I I don't I don't. But but, but do you see why he did that though? And I appreciate. But that. he did it because he felt wanna, like you already see. That's what I'm saying. It's like oh, this. But is don't good. make me feel bad because you did. You made the choice to do it. He made the choice because he felt like that's what you desired. He felt like that. Yeah. that, that he's looking at you Gucci down from head to toe. So he's like, <laughs> well, shoot, I got to get a pair of Gucci's if, if, in order for her to even see value in me because they look at that's what you're used to. But see, they mistake that it's in the labels and not in the person and the intent of the heart see what happens is and that's what happens is men go out and they buy something because they want to impress somebody or they're trying to make up for something and they go and buy the purse or they go and buy the shoes or they go and buy the jewelry but the intent behind it is all misguided so I'm not looking at the box and the label on it I want to know your heart I want to know where your heart is I want to know where you who do you depend on do you trust God I want to know where your faith is I'm not looking at what you can put in my hand I'm looking at the evidence of what your heart is. Good On period. Jesus. Boy, <laughs> let me tell you something. I'm about to tear the studio up. You understand me? <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> huh. All right. All right. All right. And so that's why you could buy me a, a bag of candy. And you've listened to my conversation and know the candy that I like. There it is. And I'll get more excited over the candy than I do over the $1,000 shoes because of the intent of your heart. Brothers, I need y'all to hear this. I need y'all to hear this. When you're dealing with the right woman, she will always value thoughtful gifts over just quote-unquote expensive gifts. Yeah. Uh, because those thoughtful gifts are something that you had to think about versus something that, you know, you go, ah, well, let me just yeah. go ahead. And, all right. She wear this, go get this. She's like, why did you just give me another pair of those? I do that all the time. I got that. Yeah. And when you listen, I remember I had this guest on the podcast and, um, she was talking about how, uh, she was dating this guy. Oh, my homegirl Kelly. That's who mm -hmm. was saying it. And he came when she picked him up from the airport he had her favorite candy bar. That's why yeah. when you said that, yeah. she was like, I just said it one time on the phone. And, it, it, and it's, she, she said, at that point, she said, this got to be my husband. That's it. A candy bar. I, I want to show me that you care about the little details of my life. Because I'm going to show you that I care about the little details of your life. Because what's important to you, if we're really meant to be together, then it's going to be important to me. There it is. And so a lot of times we're looking at just, well, he got me this and he got me that. Well, he may have gotten three other girls the same thing. <laughs> exactly. 
But were you listening to what I like? Were you listening to what my dreams are and positioning me to push that dream out? Am I better by being in company and connection with you? So it's not to me about the dollar amount, although I do feel like you got to make sure that somebody understands your level of living, your level of believing. Um, But are you listening? Are you listening? Are you capturing the essence of my heart? Are you making me better and I'm making you better? And there's an equal pour. And then when you can't pour before whatever season, can I trust that I can pour into you? And then when you get to the place, are you going to pour back into mm. me? God, that's good right there. When you get to the place, are you going to pour back into me? As you're thinking, um, and I'll never like for people to detail what they're looking for in a, in the spouse. But I do want you to touch on this because we talked about this on this live. (laughs) You're a pastor. Yeah. Do you think it's God's will for you to marry another pastor? (sighs) (laughs) Blessed be the name of the Lord. And and let me say this because of how you positioned it it and worded it. I want whatever God's will is for my life. Good. And if that comes in the package of a pastor, then he's going to prepare my heart to be sensitive to accept it. But if I talk about my desires, my desire is not necessarily a pastor because I don't want the assignment on my life to get convoluted by this other role in my life. I have a, it'll be a role and an a kingdom assignment to be a wife, but I don't want to get the purpose and assignment of me leading and being a senior pastor convoluted because he feels like that's an automatic, well, we're going to co-pastor together. And if that's not what God called us to do together, we do the kingdom of God a disservice. So my desire is, hey, yes, I definitely want what God wants for me and his will for my life. But I also believe and know that he gives me the desires of my heart. And I want somebody that's going to be fitly joint with me. So in the areas that I'm not strong, they're strong. And in the areas that they're strong, they're weak. I'm strong. And so it's not about a title. Again, I got to go back to show me your heart. And can you believe and trust God and not fickle that, you know, false belief. But when it gets tough, what's going to come out of your mouth when I've had a bad day or are the pressure seems a lot and I'm having a transparent, vulnerable conversation with you. Can you push me back in faith and remind me of the purpose and the assignment on my life? See, I really believe a person, if you get with the wrong person, they can pull you down and get you out of God's will just as quick as you getting with the right person can propel you and push you to a whole nother level of God's assignment. You better teach. You understand me? That's facts. That's facts. That's why it's very, very, very important that we link up with the right person. Uh, It can kill your whole assignment. And I've seen it. And derail you. You've seen it in what regard? I've seen it in other people's relationships. I've seen um, people not, you know, get with somebody, but then they can't handle their glow up. Yeah. I want to be with somebody that can see me, see Irisha, see the pastor, and see, see Riri. The, you got to see Riri see too. Mom, see the Riri and still say, you know what? 
What's the statement they say? What? You know, I'm stand beside him. I, that's my, he's mine, and I'm gonna stick beside yeah, him. I want to be like she mine. She got away, but I'm gonna stick beside him. I want somebody to be able to see me and be like, oh, knowing when I'm on a stage. We killing it together. Yeah. When even if they're in the background, we killing it together. It, it's a support. It's a covering. It's a. It's it's all of that without. I don't have to stand right next to you. I don't have to have the mic at the same time. Yeah. Because if I'm on the mic and we've properly aligned ourselves according to God's vision and purpose, yeah. then what's going to go forth over the mic is a representation of the submission and the support that we have one to another. <sighs> I'll be able to take breaks every time I ask you a question. I'll be, Jesus, I'll be tired. Ah! Lord. This is good. This is real good. I'm, I'm gonna, this is a whole master class. Oh, God. This, 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 this is crazy. You, you know, we, we just, <laughs> I, I'm big on, you know this about me, elevating women to be okay with being, stepping in their authenticity. Yes. And um, also being very intentional because God is with you when you're by yourself. He's going to be with you if the when the man comes along and he's going to be with you even after that but yeah. trusting God wholeheartedly. That's trusting we got, we, God I, you know I, I'm we got to have some sheroes in the in the building. Which brings us to this one our final discussions. You and I connected because you asked me to be a part of yeah. a panel, a men's panel, an all mm -hmm. men's panel at your Shiro's conference. Yeah. You got my boy David Burris, my boy yeah. Anthony O'Neill, and the legendary <laughs> Ivy Hillier. Yeah. Why did you ask me to be a part of this? Um, and then, you know, Bishop R.C. Blakes is preaching after y'all. Oh, he is? Oh, it's good. It, it, it's phenomenal. Okay, so just just put that on. You got my people, people. Um, as I was planning the conference, I really believe that sheroes and heroes, we can help each other. Yes. And I, I'm the better for because I have the fatherly advice. First, I love the Dear Future Wifey <laughs> podcast. And then when I I found out you were connected to my brother, Pastor Eben Connor, That's shout out boy. to the Connors. Yes. Um, it just sealed the deal. But I want that moment to be a time of fatherly advice, brotherly advice. I want men to have the real conversation, not just behind the mic and what we want, we think we want to hear. Yeah. But let's really get in a room and talk about how we make each other better. Yes. You know, tell us really without the whole high value, all of that kind of <laughs> stuff. Tell us what it really is and what a man is really looking for so that we get ourselves together yeah. if we desire to be in a relationship. Yeah. And so I want it to be transparent, real, authentic, raw. I'm going to be out in the, in the audience <laughs> with the ladies. We're going to have a whole Shiro squad. So when y'all get to talking and we may want to interject, we're going to have a way to interject. But I really believe that when you're planning this, when I was planning the women's conference, we needed to hear from the men because I'm the better because of the men in my life. Why do you say that? What impact did the men in your life have on you for you to become a better woman? Because okay. I'm gonna tell yeah. you something. You have a father in your life. Yeah. You have a lot of a lot of my uh, friends that are yeah. females. They don't have that. They don't have the luxury of of dad. Um, even some of them don't have uncles in their lives yeah. like that. And so when you say that, because a lot of them may feel like, wow, she was lucky to have her dad. When you say you are better as a woman because of the men in your life, how? What kind of impact did they have? Uh, they've corrected me. They've challenged me. They've celebrated me. 
and they've walked alongside of me. And that has made me a better woman. There's a scripture that talks about um, that God will be the father to the fatherless. Yes. And instead of looking for just a man, my prayer is that God would raise up the fatherhood ministry. And it doesn't have to be a relative. He will use a man. And sometimes he'll even use a woman. Because when, you know, not to get too deep in that, because I know we're almost done. But when Abraham and Sarah and Hagar were having their issues, Abraham goes to God and says, what am I supposed to do? He says, put her out. God endorsed him putting out Hagar and his son for her to raise the son by himself. And whenever there is a deficit that shows up in your life, God already has a solution and an answer to the problem. And I want women to be open to receive men and even women pouring into them wisdom that may not come in a lover relationship, may not come, it won't come in an abusive relationship, but that fatherly voice that says, I see you, I'm cheering for you, I celebrate you, I'm going to correct you. But then I'm going to walk alongside of you. C-Rose Conference is what? Drop those dates. April 26th through the 28th. I want to see men, women in the building. Uh, the theme this year is She's Iconic. But uh, every iconic woman needs to be surrounded by iconic men like Deborah in the Bible. Uh, you, you look at Deborah in the Bible. Uh, Barack says, we're not going to war unless you go with us. They were pushing her into her iconic state. Go to SheRoseLeague.com to register for the conference. It's going to be life-changing. Uh, what, what time, uh, when am I on program? What time is You're it? You're on Thursday at 10 a.m. 10 in the morning. And, and you have to register to be a part of that. Yeah. There's virtual registration. But I want I want us to be in press the our way to be in the building. Because yeah. there's power in your presence. And then knowing that somebody is walking or may have walked through your story. Uh, I am all about being real, transparent, and trusting God that there is an answer. And he will see you through. The answer's already on the inside of you. The potential is there. You just got to tap into it. And what's so awesome, too, when people come to in-person meetings like this and conventions and and conferences, that God has this unique way of connecting you to somebody sitting right next to you. And you afford your sisterhood or brotherhood that lasts for the rest of your life. Yeah. You know, you're able to do stuff together. What you need is in that room. Always. The answer that you've been looking for, the place of searching that you've been trying to figure it out on your own. It's in that room because somebody is going to say something that's going to be the answer that you need. And we say it a lot of times in church, but it's so true. Yeah. One word, one word from God can change your whole life Facts. around. League.com. I'm going to put that in the uh, description. I'm going to also put your IG yeah. on uh, there as well. And y'all go follow my sister. Man, we're going to have fun. Thank you for finding value in me or seeing the value in me to ask me to be a part of this. Uh, when you told me at first, when you just you just told me, you asked me to be a part of it, I was like, okay, cool. Then you told me your daddy was on the I said, oh, Lord, what, what I got to say with this man sitting up here? What am, what am I going to do? And then yeah. you said, I want you to go ahead and moderate it. I yeah. said, okay. So I can, you, you are know, moderating. Yeah, I can moderate. Right. Yeah, I'm moderating. So, that, that, you know, that's, that's in my vein. That's yeah. in my wheelhouse. That's going to be fun. Yeah. And I can't wait to, you know, um, 
be poured into by your father, the stuff that he's going to, the gems he's going to drop. Uh, like, I'm, I'm a student, so yeah. I sit back and I eat all this stuff up. That's so it. thank you for being a visionary to put on this She Rose. Uh, you said the She Rose League. You have a whole league, huh? I do. You know what happened in the midst of pandemic? Um, everybody were having, they were having panels about leading in the pandemic or making it through the pandemic. Yeah. And I would look at the the panelists and no women were represented. And uh, if they don't invite you to the table, you build your you own. build your own. And so I started She Rose League in a pandemic, joining women together who are leading in various fields, whether it's in the home, whether it's in the workplace, whether you're an entrepreneur, whatever type of role you're leading in, bringing us together in a community to empower each other, to encourage each other, and to have resources for us to really put the tools that God has given us and tools of life to work so that we can win in life. Listen, Arisha, I'm going to watch this episode back. You said a lot of stuff, and I'm going to write them, them, them quotes down because it was absolutely powerful. Um, you know, I, I can't wait to see who God links you up with, you know, because uh, that's, that, that's interesting. I always, I, I love the journey of love. I love to hear the story. I love to hear the testimonies yeah. that come forth when somebody say, you know, this is where I was, and yeah. I believe God does these suddenlies. Yeah. Um, before I let you go, are you open to suddenlies happen? Or do you feel like, I got to see you through two seasons. I got to see you through this. Are you okay with a suddenly happening? I'm real okay with a suddenly. And I'm at the time where I'm open to love, relationship, partnership. And I, I think that's a big word, partnership, yeah. companionship. Um, I remember when I first started pastoring. I knew the intensity and the focus it was going to take. And so I was like, yeah. I'm not getting married to three or five years mm -hmm. from now. So I'm now in my fifth year and things are, are moving at a place because I know, I know stepping into that partnership is going to require a part of me that the church needs to be settled. And I'm not marrying somebody if that day comes when that day comes for New Light Church. New Light Church is going to get the overflow of my relationship Good. with that person. I'm marrying somebody for me. There it is. Hey, y'all give it up for my sister, Arisha Hilliard, y'all. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here, <laughs> Queen. Ladarian thrusted suddenly into Child Protective Services in 2015. My nephew, black, a boy. The likelihood of being adopted outside of kinship Slim to none. Armani, 16 years old, black, a boy, with five years in the foster care system before I even knew his name. The likelihood of ever being adopted? Yep, you guessed it. Slim to none. While Ladarian and Armani were trying to survive and barely thrive in an overpopulated and underfunded foster care system, I was living my own life, doing well professionally. Having been a single father with a daughter who at that point was doing well in college, it was my time to live my life, right? Wrong. I felt unsettled, tireless, agitated. There are just too many of our black children stuck in ambiguity and in the limbo of the foster care system. In 2017, I legally adopted my nephew, Ladarian. Fast forward to 2019, I had no ties to this other young king, but I felt God instructed me to adopt him also, and I obeyed. Starting over with parenting should have 
been enough, right? Working with various foster care and adoption agencies to help bring awareness to the countless young black kings in the foster care system should have decreased my agitation, right? Joining the board of directors of Advantage Adoption, an organization that helps find permanent adoptive homes for children in foster care, should have led to some type of resolve, right? No, not at all. None of it felt like I had done enough. I now realize that every one of those experiences was laying the fundamental foundation for my life's mission, Kingdom Royale. Kingdom Royale will be a luxury, state-of-the-art home for foster boys. Our first location will be in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. We will utilize the whole person approach that instills identity, empowers them to advocate for themselves, and enlightens them regarding new perspectives and limitless options that they thought were impossible. Though the young kings will attend the local public schools that are in proximity to Kingdom Royale, our at-home curriculum will broaden their worldview through participating in the arts, attending various cultural events, learning about and engaging in multifaceted discussions about current events and even relevant historical contexts, introducing them to gardening and landscaping and even caring for our animals on our farm and on-site stables. We just launched our startup capital campaign with the goal of raising $2.8 million. Now, why $2.8 million? Well, in 2017, I created a web series in which I performed random acts of kindness for targeting the homeless community. One of the most notable successes was that one of the videos went viral, garnering 28 million views. However, one of my biggest regrets is that I didn't raise a single dollar to help in implementing a more sustainable plan for the homeless community. So throughout the years, with much remorse, I reflected on not maximizing that moment. I knew if at that time, just 10% of the viewers donated $1, we would have raised at least $2.8 million that could have really established long-term support for the homeless community, or at least started a long-term initiative to do so. This is my do-over. This is our new beginning. Together, we can attack this at the root by specifically helping our homeless black boys who are already disproportionately represented in the American foster care system. I'm LaTerris R. Whitfield. I've been nominated for three regional Emmys documenting my work with the homeless as well as my personal adoption journey. Despite those accolades, the greatest award for me is truly providing the infrastructure for a transformed life. Visit KingdomRoyale.com for more details. Crown a king and make a donation today. Let me start off by saying happy early Good Friday and happy Easter, or I like to say Resurrection Sunday. Um, I love this season. In Texas, we have these beautiful flowers. Our state flower is the blue bonnet. So as you drive down the highways or down different roads, you'll see these fields of beautiful blue bonnets blossoming during this season. Um, well, here's my favorite part of the podcast where I speak to my future wifey. Uh, dear future wifey, Resurrection Sunday is this weekend as I reminisce of all the things I've buried and resurrected over the years. I'm flooded with the hope with you. I'm born again. I envision us getting dressed to the nines in preparation for Easter service in color-coordinated outfits. We take our traditional Easter photos in the field of blue bonnets that bloom in the Texas sun in time to celebrate our Savior. This is marriage. This is covenant. This 
is documenting memories. This is us. Our worship will bond us. Our faith will secure us. Our love will resurrect us. Your future hubby. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Dear Future Wifey podcast. Remember, be lit, live intentionally and transparently, and don't stop loving. Make sure to subscribe to our Dear Future Wifey YouTube channel. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. We welcome your support. Simply share our podcast with your friends and family.